You can remain standing um, as we read our passage for this morning together. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do, do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You may be seated. So good morning. My name is Dylan. Um, I'm the, the New City High School director, and I'm super excited to be here this morning and to open God's word with you. And um, just want to take a couple minutes before we really jump in to introduce myself and uh, for you to get to know me a little bit. My wife's name is Molly. We have been married about six and a half years. We both grew up in Indiana. And uh, we uh, went to college together, and after we graduated, we got married, and we moved right down here to Matthews. And we actually, our first apartment was uh, just up Monroe Road, just past QT a little bit on the left. And uh, man, we really quickly grew to love Matthews and have loved being here and making this our home. And uh, the biggest news for us is we, four months ago, had our first son. His name is Eli, and... He is just the absolute best. He's happy, he's smiley, um, and he just started sleeping through the night, which is like a huge game changer, <laughs> you know? Uh, we're practicing tummy time here, and he, he's almost getting ready to roll over, um, but we love him. He's awesome. Um, I'm a huge sports fan. I love watching sports. I love playing sports, um, and my favorite sport is basketball. I know some of you guys play basketball in here. Um, but here, man, guys, I'm really sad because my favorite all-time team in all the sports in, in the world is Purdue basketball. And if you've been watching March Madness at all, they lost in the first round, and I, uh, I'm not quite over it yet. <laughs> and uh, so just so you know, I'm not ready to talk about it. <laughs> um, but pretty soon after moving here, um, my wife, we moved down here because my wife is a teacher at Charlotte Christian and I started working at New City and have been working with um, students and high schoolers specifically most of the time. And uh, I actually started going to Gordon-Conwell six years ago. And I'm happy to say in just a few short weeks, I'm going to be graduating in, uh, later on in May. And I am so excited about that. It's been a long journey, and there's finally light at the end of the tunnel that's growing brighter, and it feels amazing. And I've been telling our, our high school seniors this year, that we really have to do something really special this year to celebrate graduation. Um, but speaking of our students, we have some amazing high school students here. I don't know if you, if you know them or have met them. They serve. I mean, they, if, uh, you've seen high schoolers serving in uh, Next Gen or welcoming or hosting. Like, they are all in. They're, they're amazing. They love Jesus. And I'm so proud of who they are and to get to lead them and serve them and I uh, just want to say, shameless plug, like if you're in high school 
and haven't been, or if you've been before and just haven't been back in a while, like the door and the invitation is always wide open. We would love for you to come to join us. We meet uh, Sunday nights across the road at the co-op from 5 to 7. And actually next week, super fun, we're not going to meet there. We're going to meet at Spare Time in Pineville. And actually 8th grade through 12th grade all are invited to come to it. We're going to do bowling. There's laser tag, arcade games, and we're just going to have fun. So please come next week, 5 to 7 at Spare Time. All right, let's jump in. James. I want you to take a second to think about the people who are closest to you in your circles of life. Who are the main voices that you listen to? If you've got them in mind, I want you to picture the one person from the circle of your influence uh, that, that is maybe more honest with you than anyone else. Maybe the person who's a little bit more honest than you would like them to be. Um, another way to ask it is, who is the one person that you try to avoid when you don't want to hear the truth? Anybody else feel a little uncomfortable? <laughs> well, if, you, if you've got their, their face in your mind, I want you to, uh, to put James' face in, in their place. As we continue to study through James, keep in mind that James is writing to a church that's been scattered from its home, all from Jerusalem to, to the surrounding Gentile areas. And um, he's trying to help them learn how to go through what they're going through. And as we're going through that, he's, he's going to be helping us learn how to go through what we're going through as well. James isn't just our friend over the next several months. He's going to be like our big brother. He's going to tell us what we need to hear, but not always what we want to hear. Uh, but James cares so deeply that we're living a true and authentic and abiding life in Jesus that he's not going to spare our feelings. He's speaking truth in love. So in the first 11 verses, James has been focused on testing what, what do these look like and how the testing of our faith um, is coming through harsh and difficult circumstances. But in our passage today, he begins to switch from the circumstances that are happening outside of us to what is taking place within all of us. And the way that James links these two um, is by talking about trials and temptations. And that's what we're going to sit in here for the first couple of minutes. In verse 12, James says, Blessed are those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This verse, it may sound similar to, uh, to some of you guys. James is really channeling his brother Jesus here because he uses this, the, the start of this verse, blessed are those. It's the same form, the same structure that Jesus uses in his Sermon on the Mount uh, sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Je Jesus spoke in this way. He gave this Sermon on the Mount to try to describe what the life of a disciple looked like. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And this, this word blessed, another way to think about it, is, uh, is actually happy or um, this is what the good life looks like. And so for James, he's doing a similar thing here. He's saying, happy are those who endure trials and temptations, for they will receive the crown of life. This is what the life of a disciple in the kingdom of God looks like. But it had to be hard uh, for James, uh, James readers to hear this. And maybe it's hard for you to hear this today as well. 
But they're thinking, we've lost everything. All of our possessions, our homes, our inheritance. How can you call us blessed? But James is saying here, don't get too consumed with what you have now for what is still coming. That in Jesus, you right now already possess more riches and more wealth than any other material possessions or property or inheritance could ever give you. So happy is the one who perseveres under trials and under temptation, for he will receive the crown of life. And this crown of life, it's the symbol of what is true for us in Christ right now. In Christ, we are co-heirs. The inheritance that is his is also ours, and one day we will receive this in the life to come. This is our reality, and this is what James is trying to encourage us to hold on to. You don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. In Christ, you are more blessed right now than ever before. But this is where Jesus, or Jesus, James, begins to change direction. Just as surely as we're going to face trials, it's not if but when, um, the same thing is true of, of temptations as well. They're not just possibilities, they are absolute realities. And as we turn into verses 13 through 15, we see James give some very clear teachings on the differences between trials and temptations. And the heart of what James is going to be doing for the rest of this passage and, and kind of what we're going to be themed after is, is this, this focus on remembering. James, our friend and companion, wants us to remember what is true about God, what's true about us, and specifically when it comes to temptations. So his first point, remember this about temptations. Let's first uh, just go through some quick facts about what temptation can look like. The first thing that we need to remember about temptation is that everyone is tempted. Every single one of us has faced temptation. We've fallen into temptation. We've even beaten temptation. Temptation. Um, but even, uh, remember, remember, it's not a matter of if temptation comes, it's when it comes. Jesus was tempted. But I want you to hear, temptation is not your sin. Jesus battled temptation and won without sinning. If we aren't careful, though, temptation is going to lead us into sin. Maybe there's a temptation that you've been struggling with. Maybe right here in this moment, right now, you are struggling. Whatever may be, or whenever it comes for you next, hear this, your temptation is not your sin. It's important, though, that we are aware of what we're tempted by. Who are the people that uh, are easy for us to be tempted with? Or what are the situations that are difficult for us to be in? But hear this, you are not alone in your temptation. Everyone may be tempted differently, but all are tempted all the same still. You're not alone, and your temptation is not your sin. The second thing to remember about temptation is that God is never the one who tempts you. James is very clearly writing to some in his church who believe that their own sin was God's responsibility. God put them in the situation that they're in. Their situation is causing them to sin. So God must be the one who's responsible, right? Right? And to this, James says, absolutely not. This is so far off the mark from God's heart, from God's character. He is too good and he's too pure and he's too holy to be tempted himself, let alone tempt somebody else into sin. Make no mistake, God 
is working to build up your faith in your trials, but he is not tearing it down by tempting you. God is for you, and he will never tempt you into sin. But how easy is it to pass off the blame to someone else? Does anybody else do that? This feels like the, the story of my childhood. I, I grew up with a younger brother. His name was Luke. And we, when we were little, we would always get in trouble for annoying each, uh, annoying each other, for fighting, for arguing. And every time, our parents would come, and they, they need to get the story. What's happening? What's going on? And without fail, every single time, I'm, we both are saying, it's not my fault. He made me do it. This is the way it's always been, though. Ever since the beginning in the garden, we've all been pointing fingers. The certain introduces temptation to Eve by drawing her attention to the fruit she couldn't eat. She and Adam take the fruit and eat it, and then as soon as God comes to inquire about what has happened, Adam is pointing to Eve, Eve is pointing to the serpent, and it's nobody's fault. Proverbs 19.3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at God about it. We are so quick to blame and point our fingers. It's never our fault. Don't worry, we're going to come back to this point. <laughs> but we're going to move on to the third thing to remember about temptation. And the third thing to remember is that temptation, it's a lie. Temptation is kind of like a spam call. Do you ever get those? Hey, you just won a million dollars. Free trip to, to Disney or Italy or, or wherever it is. But all you need to do is give us your credit card number and your, your bank account numbers and your social security number and uh, your grandma's secret cookie recipe. Um, sometimes, though, it's, it's easy to spot this lie. You, we can see right through this. Uh, the phone call comes from this really random place that you've never heard of, probably spam. Or the email or the text that you get, it's littered with typos, and it's got incorrect grammar, and it makes you cringe every time that you read it. Other times, though, it's not as obvious to spot. These days, there are actually trained actors who will call from your own hometown with a very compelling story with details so specific about your life, about your kids, about your work, that it can't possibly be made up. And people of no fault of their own fall into sin and deceit like this each and every day. Temptation is a lie, and it tricks us to fall into sin. When we're tempted by sin, there's always an offer that's attached to it on the other side. It pre presents a problem, and it claims something false to be true, and then it offers a solution to that problem. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden again. Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent, but how does the serpent tempt them? He tempts them by telling them um, a lie that caused them to doubt God. Did God really say? You know that God doesn't, if you eat that fruit, you're going to become like God, and God doesn't want that? That's kind of ridiculous, right? Or did God say you would actually die? Come on, you're not going to die. I know if you eat that fruit, you're going to be fine. You're not going to die. What are the lies that are tempting for us to believe today about God? Maybe it's God is not enough for you, but more money, more clothes, more possessions will be, so just pursue those. Or maybe it's God won't show up for you. You can't depend on him, but there's that show you can count on. 
Or there's that unhealthy relationship you can keep going back to. Or there's that, always that one website that will be there when you want it. Or maybe it's, are you sure that God loves you? Does anyone love you? You can only rely on yourself, your achievements, your work. So you can't let anybody else in. And they probably wouldn't even want to if you tried. All of these and every other temptation like them are a lie. A deceitful scam call trying to rob us of true love, of true joy, and of true life. And it's hard because oftentimes it's playing on a real need. Sin is ultimately trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. But we will only fall further into our brokenness in our sin when we keep following these lies as if they are true. What do we make of all of this? Why do we fall into temptation? Why are we so quick to point the blame to others? If it's not them, then who is at fault? What's the source and the cause of all of this? For these answers, we must remember what is within. And this is what James moves into in verses 14 and 15. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, and they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Right away here in verse 14, James gives us the answer to the question. Temptation comes from our desires. But it's not just any desires. We have good desires, Um, that are worthy to pursue, but not all of them are like that. Sin and brokenness have twisted us and marred us in such a way to long after things that are distorted, that are deceitful, that will lead us into sin. So the first thing that we remember about what is within us is that we are tempted by our own deceitful and distorted desires. This way of thinking goes directly against the narrative of our world today, doesn't it? We live in a world that says, follow your heart. You do you. Live by your truth. But if James, if what he's saying here is true, that what we're tempted by is our own distorted desires, then this seems like terrible advice. How can we follow our hearts if their compass is broken? How can we live by our own truth if our conception of what is true and what is good and what is right is so messed up? We can't. It's impossible for us to do this on our own. One thing about me is that I love music. I love uh, to play guitar. I love to sing. And just being very honest, I am absolutely like mediocre at best at both of those. Um, But I always have a song that's playing in my mind, in my heart. Um, And usually it's on shuffle. You never know what's going to come up. It's either country music or worship music or Metallica or uh, the Les Miserables soundtrack. Like you, you just... It's a lot of musical whiplash taking place up here. Um, But there's always a song that's playing. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, there's one line from one song that's been on repeat the entire time that I keep saying over and over again from Come Thou Fount, where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is exactly what happens when we follow our hearts. We are selfishly bent inwards towards ourselves. And when we're left alone to our own devices and to follow our own distorted desires, we're going to wander. We're prone to live according to our will and our way wherever 
it may lead us. And James uses extremely vivid language to describe our distorted desires and what they do to us in this passage. They entice us and they drag us away. It's language that's used in fishing and in hunting. The bait fits the fish. What you struggle with, your distorted desires are going to play on. They're going to bait you and they're going to try to lure you and catch you in sin. The other image is of an animal that's hunting. Um, uh, hunting, prowling, waiting to attack its prey, and then dragging it away after it's killed. No wonder Peter, in 1 Peter 5, refers to Satan as a prowling lion waiting to devour someone. I think it's important just to sit in this for a second um, to note how lions hunt. (laughs) As they stalk and as they prowl, they're trying to identify the weakest in the herd. And so is it any wonder also that when temptation seems its strongest, it's when we are at our weakest, especially when we're experiencing trials. When we fall into temptation and sin, our shame and our guilt um, will only grow stronger. And our shame and our guilt, what do, they, what do they do? They cause us to isolate ourselves from the herd. They cause us to isolate ourselves away from the community, and we're left alone. And when this happens, temptation and sin only grow stronger. So isolated and distanced from community, we are easy targets for a prowling enemy. And if you find yourself stuck in this cycle, hear this. The way out is by letting others in. And I know that this sounds terrifying to do, but the guilt and the shame will only grow stronger if it's left in the dark. And how we uh, minimize it, how we weaken the guilt and the shame is by bringing it into the light. And the way we bring it into the light is by um, healing through confession. There is power and there is healing in confession and in sharing with someone else what your temptations are and to not sit in your sins alone. The way out is by letting others in. Left into ourselves, our hearts will lead us astray. Our distorted desires will make us reach for what we know is going to burn us. They will make us pursue things that we think we want, but then hate ourselves for loving it. Why are we broken? Why is it impossible for us to live out our own truth? Why are we prone to leave God only to be enticed and dragged away by our distorted desires? And James is saying it's because, remember, sin is from within. The origin of sin is within James, again, is using very vivid language uh, to describe that our distorted desires, what they do is actually giving birth to sin. It's the image of sin taking on a life of its own, and then it grows up. And then when it fully uh, it grows up, it gives birth of its own to death. Maybe you've heard stories of people who tried to raise wild, exotic animals in their homes, and it didn't quite go as planned. Or if you've watched Stranger Things, it's like Dustin taking in a Demogorgon and keeping it as a pet. Or the Tiger King in his exotic zoo. These wild animals and creatures may be cute when they're little, but they're going to grow up. And when they grow up, they will get stronger and they're going to devour you. You can't coddle sin. It may seem cute and fun at first and you may feel like you have your hands on it and can control it. But our text here says that sin is going to grow up. And just like anything else, when it grows up, it's going to get stronger. And at some point, 
When sin is full grown, it will empower you, it will control you, and it is bent on killing you. But it all starts from letting ourselves entertain and pursue our evil and distorted desires. The origin of sin is from within. This is exactly what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 15. He says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Every single one of these things Jesus listed pretty much sums up our disordered desires. And it's those things which defile us. God does not cause us to sin. Our circumstances don't cause us to sin. Our parents don't make us sin. Our spouse, our siblings, our coworkers, none of them do. The cause of our own sin is our own, and we are fully responsible. We must recognize our sin. We must own our sin and realize what our sin turns us into. Following distorted desires will lead us to distorted versions of ourselves. Our sin is full-blown when it becomes a fixed habit, and it grows and it grows and it grows until standing before us is a fire-breathing dragon that resembles a distorted version of our true selves. I say that intentionally. I want you to just keep that image in your mind of this dragon. We're going to come back to it. But once we realize that the problem was in me and not just around me or done to me, we're closer to Jesus. Jesus alone can step into the dark places of our distorted desires and change us from the inside out. In response to all of this, James is telling the church, don't be misled. Don't let distorted desires drive the train. Just as it's important to remember that the problem is within us, it's within me, within you, we must remember whatever is good and whatever is perfect is from God. And this is what James uh, turns to in verses 16 through 18. When facing temptation, the first thing that, that we need to remember is that God is all good. It's impossible for God to tempt you. Again, he will never give you something evil. Who of his children ask for bread and then he gives them a snake? God's nature is absolutely good and pure. There is no evil in him to be able to give you something in the end that is not good for you. The second thing that God says is good, or that uh, to remember about God, is that God is all sovereign. One of my favorite things to do growing up in Indiana was stargazing. And it's easy to do because there's nothing in the way out there. I would spend hours and hours at night just watching the sky and counting the shooting stars and being completely mesmerized and immersed at the majesty of God and his ability to create. And James is saying that the same God and Father who hung the lights in the sky, who gives good and perfect gifts, he is all-powerful, he is all-sovereign, and he is in absolute control. And if he's in control of all of that, he's in, in control of what's going on in your life as well. And the third thing that James says to remember about God is that he is never changing. The stars that God hung in the heavens will dance across the night sky. The sun that he set into motion moves through the day and causes shadows to shift and move with it. These are always moving, but God never does. God is never changing. He is immovable in his goodness. He is unchangeable in his holiness. He is unwavering in his love, and he will never change. 
All of God's good, loving, sovereign, and holy character is summed up best in the gospel. The greatest and the most perfect gift we've ever received from God is his own son, Jesus. We are sinful. In our temptation and sin, we choose ourselves over God. And yet, God still loved us and chose us. Romans 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what verse 18 is saying when uh, he chose to give us birth by giving us his true word. Following our temptations and distorted desires gives birth to sin and makes us distorted versions of ourselves. But in the true story of the gospel, God's true word, he's reversing all of this by giving us new birth in our life with Christ. But it's not without cost. We must recognize our sin and we must heed Jesus' call to pick up our cross and to follow him each and every day. And when we pick up our cross to follow him, we must know that there really is only one place that this is going to lead to, to death. The world says to follow your heart wherever it leads you, but Jesus commands us to follow him means to pick up your cross, to follow him, and uh, to die to yourself. That's what it means to truly find and truly follow him. But it's only in our death that we experience new birth. Just as surely as Jesus was resurrected from the grave, so do we experience the resurrection of new life in Christ. The distorted version of ourselves is restored to our true selves in our life that's hidden with Christ. But we have to be willing to slay the dragon. And I want to close with a story um, that's, uh, by John Piper that depicts this very thing, and it's titled, You, Jesus, the Dragon. Picture your flesh, that old ego with the mentality of merit and craving for power and reputation and self-reliance. Picture it as a dragon living in some cave in your soul. Then you hear the gospel, and in it, Jesus Christ comes to you and says, I will make you mine and take possession of the cave and slay the dragon. Will you yield to my possession? It will mean a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. But you say, the dragon is me. I will die. And Jesus says, and you will raise to newness of life. For I will take its place. I will make my mind yours and my will yours and my heart your own. And you say, what must I do? And he answers, trust me and do as I say. As long as you trust me, we cannot lose. Overcome by the beauty and the power of Christ, you bow and swear eternal loyalty and trust. And you rise and he puts a great sword in your hand and says, follow me. He leads you to the mouth of the cave and says, go in, slay the dragon. But you look bewildered. I cannot, not without you. And he smiles. Well said, you learn quickly. Never forget my commands for you to do something are never commands to do it alone. Then you enter the cave together. The bottom line for this morning, when you are tempted, remember. Let's pray.
Father, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, from our own distorted desires, and help us to die to ourselves each and every day that we may live in our new life with Jesus. Remind us of our desperate need for you and that you are never changing in your goodness and your love toward us. Give us courage to slay the dragon and peace of mind that you are with us and that with you we cannot lose. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.